Hey, church, this morning I want you to pray for me as I preach for Ted Cunningham at Woodland Hills Family Church. But today you have the privilege to hear from Mike Gazzardo. I first heard Mike last year at student camp as he taught the Bible to our high school students every morning. He is a gifted teacher, anointed teacher of the Word of God, one of the pastors at Gateway Church, one of the greatest churches in America. Today, I want you to put your hands together and welcome Mike Gazzardo to the stage. Thank you so much. How's everybody doing today? Doing well? Awesome. Uh, my name is Mike Gazzardo. So excited to be here with you uh, today. And I want to take a minute and welcome all the campuses. I want to welcome our Midtown campus, uh, downtown. That's where all the cool people hang out, downtown. Uh, also want to welcome, we have South Tulsa, uh, Owasso. Hopefully I said that correctly. Um, also want to welcome everybody that's tuning in online. And of course, everyone here this morning at our Battle Creek campus. Why don't you give yourselves a round of applause for being here? Every campus. Great to see you guys and great to be with you. Uh, I bring greetings from my, my family. We live in the Dallas-Fort uh, Worth area, and uh, we've got a couple Dallas people uh, around. Um, uh, married, four kids, and uh, yes, in case you're wondering, that our lives are a little crazy with four kids. I, I notice a lot of people don't have four kids anymore. Whenever we tell people we have four kids, they kind of look at us and, and, you know, I think, well, most people are just smarter than we were, I guess. Um, and uh, one time I was actually listening to a comedian who, who also had four kids and he was kind of talking about how it was a little bit crazy. And he said, people ask him sometimes, you know, what's it like having four kids? And he said, kind of, he's got a, he had a real thick British accent and, and he said, well, imagine yourself drowning and then someone hands you a baby, you know, and everyone in the audience was laughing and, and I didn't laugh, you know, I, I kind of wanted to do one of those hunger Games salutes, you know, like I'm with you. I, I feel you. So um, it's, uh, it's great. You know, I was thinking last night, I, I really should have brought a picture and I started looking through my phone to see if I could find one real quick. But, you know, when you have kids, we have a nine-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old and a nine-month-old. There's no such thing as a good family picture, you know? One's always picking their nose or biting a sibling or something like that. So uh, you'll just maybe have to stalk my wife on, on Facebook or something like that if you want to see family pictures. I apologize uh, for not having one of those. But um, Anyway, great, great to, to be with you. My wife and I have been uh, married almost 13 years, two weeks from now, our, our 13 year anniversary. And uh, thank you. Um, she is from Texarkana, Texas. And so uh, you can probably picture where that is, right where Texas and Arkansas meet. So if you picture the thickest Southern accent you can imagine and, and then multiply it by 10, that's my wife. So she, uh, we, I remember one time when we were engaged, we, we were having one of these conversations, uh, I think it was about our wedding, and uh, you know those kind of conversations when you're engaged and you're making a choice, and it's like, you choose, no, you choose, no, really, you choose, you know, and that lasts about a week after you're married, and then things change, but um, so we're having this conversation, and in the middle of this conversation, she stops, and she looks at me, and she goes, babe, you know what is so weird, and, and I said, no, what, and she goes, you know, to think about changing my name in the middle of my life. She goes, I mean, my whole life I've been called Alicia Walden, and now I'm about to be called Alicia Gazzardo. She goes, can you imagine changing your name in the middle of your life? And so being the troublemaker that I am, you know, I, I kind of looked back at her and I said, babe, I've already changed my name for you. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, my whole life, everyone's called me Mike, and now I have to respond to Mac for the rest of my life. So I, I know exactly what you're feeling. <laughs> I, got, I got punched for that. It didn't end well for me, but um, anyway... Uh, just uh, enjoying our time there. We do get to serve at Gateway, bring you greetings from, from Gateway Church, where we serve as an executive pastor there, and, and are really enjoying our time there. But um, so thankful to be here with you guys this morning. And uh, as I was praying about what to share with you guys, 
Now, I want to talk about a topic that I hope will be close to home uh, for many. And this morning, I want to talk about peace. And I want to talk to you about some keys to peace. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us could probably look at our lives and say, if there was a way that I could walk in more of God's peace, how many guys every campus think, you know, I I could do that a little bit more. I could use a little bit more of God's peace. And so uh, we're going to talk about that some this morning. So let me me pray over this word, uh, and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you so much. for your presence here. We thank you for your word. God, thank you for loving us. And Jesus, we thank you for the things that you purchased and made available to us on the cross, not just salvation, but your peace, your joy, the things that you've allowed us to be able to walk in as we learn to follow you. And so God, would you speak to each one of us at every campus, those that are tuning in online, God, wherever they may be, uh, Lord, would you speak to us and just, just move the needle a little bit in our lives today where we might experience a little bit more of your peace leaving this place than we did when we walked in. And God, we thank you in advance for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, listen, if I were to ask you today, how many of you are walking in peace? Most of us would probably say, you know, sure, I, I guess I'm walking in, in some level of peace. But, but I would reason that the Bible describes a level of peace that, that I wonder if maybe some of us uh, could stand to, to walk in a little bit more of it. It says it like this in Colossians 3.15. It says, and the peace that comes from Christ, it says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. And that word rule might maybe be more accurately translated as umpire or referee. And what God is saying here is there's a peace that comes from God that should literally be so strong it can rule in your hearts at all times. Meaning no matter what situation is happening, his peace actually prevails that and you're able to have peace regardless of what's going on in your life. And if we think about whether or not we have peace from that context, then the question is, do I really walk in that kind of peace? In fact, I think if we were honest and we looked at our life on a daily basis, I wonder how much peace we walk in at all. You know, just think about some of the things we go through on a daily basis. I mean, you know, when I grew up in California, but when I moved to Texas, at first, I wasn't in the Dallas area. I was in East East Texas in a place called Lindale. Uh, so I moved from the Bay Area of, you know, millions of people to a town of about three and um, in Lindale, they have all these two-lane roads. And I'm one of those guys, sometimes, you know, I'm a couple minutes late to things. And so I remember I'd be in one of these two-lane roads. You know, I'm driving down, and, and, and all of a sudden, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but you can see it. Like, you, it's, it's a little bit too far ahead that if you speed up, you're going to head them off at the pass. And, you, you know, all of a sudden, here comes Grandma drives so slow in her 57 Buick, you know. And, and she pulls out right in front of you going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. You ever been in that kind of situation? And how many of you, your first thought is, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to practice patience. I, I could not be happier right now, right? Or are you trying to stave off those thoughts of, what if I ran grandma, grandma drives so slow off the road? I mean, nobody would see. It's okay, you know. You think about other situations you've been in, you know, maybe, uh, you know, somebody wants to borrow something from you. And you ever been in that, you know, kind of somebody needs to borrow something. You don't really want to let them borrow it. You know what you're thinking? I'm a Christian, you know, it's probably the right thing to do, and so you let them borrow it, and have you ever had that happen where, like, you know, maybe they break it, and they're kind of almost unapologetic, you know? It's like, oh, sorry, I broke, my bad. And your first thought is, that's okay. It was the Lord's anyways. No big deal, you know? <laughs> or you're kind of like, how about I break you, and we'll call it even. Is that okay? You know, I mean, or you ever, you know, maybe had a, a situation where, you know, maybe you're in rush hour traffic, kind of the opposite of the first one, and somebody cuts you off, you know, and, and is your first thought really, you know what? The last will be first and the first will be last. You, you just did me a favor. You just blessed me, you know. Or are you trying to convince yourself you don't want to let them know they're, you know, number one in your book, right? <laughs> or maybe, you know, we've, 
We've seen something where, you know, a coworker talks bad about you at work, you find out they're talking behind your back. Something like that. Oftentimes, you know, the first thing you're thinking is not blessed are those when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, right? Has a way of stealing our peace. In fact, you know, I travel a lot. And so I've seen something as small as turbulence on an airplane just completely steal people's peace, you know? I mean, it's funny, you know, the, the, whole, the whole kind of context of an airplane is really interesting to me. You know, the whole social experiment of, you know, you're getting ready to go somewhere and you end up sitting by people that are complete strangers for a couple hours. And so to me, you know, the, the, the whole thing is so similar every time. You know, walk on a plane and everybody's got their own motif, you know, kind of their own thing that they're doing, right? So you got the business person, you know, they're kind of typing away on the computer. And, and then you've got, you know, maybe the, the young teenage, you know, girl next to you and she's, you know, kind of rocking out to her music. And, and so everybody's minding their own business. But it's so funny to me to watch what happens. All of a sudden, if you start to get into really bad turbulence, the whole environment of the plane changes because everybody starts getting nervous. So everybody all of a sudden starts kind of talking and trying to make friends, right? And here's what's kind of interesting is that, you know, when you get nervous and you say really stupid stuff. And so this is what happens. You know, I've been sitting there sometimes and the plane will start bouncing. And, you know, I've had somebody look over at me and be like, whoa, did you feel that? You know? I always want to be a smart aleck and look back at him and be like, no, I think it was just your seat. I, I didn't feel anything, you know. I mean, what do you say, you know? Some guy's like, whoa, it's kind of bumpy out there. Must be turbulence. You know, I'm like, well, thank you. I thought we hit a plane. Thanks for that, you know, information. I mean, you know. And so uh, I remember one time there was some real bad turbulence, and I actually think someone got saved in the back of the plane. You know, There's, all of a sudden I hear this, oh, Jesus, you know, kind of crying out. And being kind of evangelistically minded, I kind of thought to myself, man, this would be a great time for an altar call. You know, I mean, can you imagine you're having all the turbulence, people are all fearful, and you walk up to the intercom and just be like, many of you are thinking about your eternities right now, so I figured it'd be a good time to talk to you about Jesus Christ, you know? (laughs) All of a sudden, I started thinking of all the analogies, you know, just follow the emergency lights right to the altar, you know? (laughs) The emergency lights only lead two places, to the exit or to the altar, the choice is yours, you know? You can just keep thinking of all these ways you can do it, but... Um, but anyways, when there's bad turbulence on an airplane, how many of you guys know there's one place on the airplane you absolutely do not want to be? The bathroom. That's right. And, and that is where the story begins. So um, I, I'm in the bathroom on this airplane, and, and it's just my luck. Sometimes, you know, as soon as you go to the bathroom, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the plane can be totally calm, and then you get in there, and all this turbulence starts. And this was, I mean, it was probably some of the worst turbulence I've experienced. And so I'm, you know, trying to compose myself and, and I, I open the door to the bathroom and there's a flight attendant standing, you know, right there kind of against the wall and he's motioning to a seat in the back row. He wasn't even going to let me try to get back to my seat because the plane was, was so bumpy. And so I, I'm standing there and, and as you know, on a plane, oftentimes there's a bathroom right across from you. And so as I go to take my first step out of the bathroom, the door across me pops open and a guy falls out on all fours, pants at his ankles, looking up at me, screaming, is this plane okay? Are we okay? <laughs> and, you know, when you're not expecting it and a half-naked guy falls on top of you, I mean, that's traumatizing, you know? I mean, you ladies have weapons. You have heels. You could, you know, you know beat him back. I just had flip-flops on. You know, what am I going to do? Like, get back, you know? I mean, it was... <laughs> so, I, I mean, the, the poor flight attendant, he's looking at this guy, and he's like, sir, put your pants on, you know, to this guy. <laughs> that, that haunted my dreams for, for a considerable period of time, but... But, you know, I started to think, you know, really, how often is it that we're really, truly at peace? You know, if if we really think a little bit deeper, isn't it true that sometimes we've allowed on a regular basis other people's actions to steal our peace? Maybe a material possession or finances. You know, how many people, if you're really being honest, maybe you'd say, you know, Mike, I battle stress on a consistent basis. 
Sometimes I talk to people and it seems like something as small as a schedule conflict can steal our peace. So here's just the question I'm trying to ask. Is that if our peace is going up and down based on the small circumstances of life, what are we going to do when the big challenges come? You know, God forbid, sometime a personal tragedy, you know, maybe the, the loss of a job or loss of a loved one. And you say, oh, Mike, come on, you know, nobody can have peace in those kind of circumstances. Listen, I'm here to tell you this today. I, I disagree. Our Bible says there is a peace that is so strong, it literally says that it transcends all understanding and it can guard your hearts and minds in any circumstance. You know, we see that in the Bible with the apostles. You know, it tells us a story in Acts where they were whipped and beaten and they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering dishonor for the name of the Lord. Where does that kind of peace come from? You know, maybe you guys are familiar with the story of a, a gentleman. His name is Horatio Spafford. He lived in the, in the late 1800s. He's a very successful businessman. And in 1870, he actually had four children, four girls and a boy. In 1870, his only son died of scarlet fever. 1871, he was a, a, a very wealthy real estate, had big real estate holdings, and the Chicago fire just wiped out the entirety of his real estate holdings, went through a huge financial turmoil, literally within 12 months of losing his son. And by 1873, just a couple years later, uh, after just an exhaustive time of trying to recover from some of these different things, and uh, he and his, the rest of his family decided, we just need to get away, and so they were going to go help D.L. Moody, who was doing a crusade in, in England at the time, and and so they were getting ready to board a boat, and, and at the last second, some of his business dealings uh, detained him in Chicago, and so he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him and told him he'd join him in a couple weeks. And the boat going over to England sank on that journey, and, and he received several weeks later what has become a now semi-famous telegram from his wife that simply said, saved alone. And he realized that his four daughters had perished in that boating accident. So a few weeks later, after his... Um, his proceedings were finished. He, he took that same boat ride out to England to meet his wife. And several of the family members that, that had people perish in that previous ride were on that boat. And so when they got to the place where the boat had gone down just a few weeks before, they stopped for a second, allowed people to go out to the, to the bow and just have a moment. And so history tells us that, that Horatio went out there and, and took a moment. And as soon as he got done, he went back down into his, his cabin and wrote uh, the hymn that we know today, it is well, it is well with my soul. That contains the words, it says, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou will whisper peace to my soul. Listen, what I hope you be, are able to walk away with this morning is God really does give us a peace that surpasses understanding and can transcend our circumstances and be available to us regardless of what is going on in our lives. And so I just want to give you a few keys this morning that I hope will maybe move you a little bit further in that direction so you can tap into more of God's peace on a consistent basis. So let me, let me walk through a few of these. The first key is simply this, is that we have to realize that God is the source of all peace, okay? God is the source of all peace. And that sounds maybe pretty basic. Most of us would agree with that in theory, but if we look at the actions of our life, most of us live like we believe peace comes from our circumstances, because we would say to ourselves, if I asked you, hey, what's the reason, what is stealing your peace in your life? Most of us would say something like, well, my finances, or my job, or my spouse, you know, they would just get their act together. My life would be so much more peaceful. And what we're really saying is if I could just change my circumstances, I'd have more peace. The problem with that thinking is that the Bible says that our peace doesn't come from our circumstances at all or have anything to do with it. It actually comes from God. 
You know, you look at the vernacular of the Bible, Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. It says this, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, on the list goes. But you see, what that says is peace is not a fruit of your circumstances, it's actually a fruit of God's Spirit. You know, we alluded to Philippians 4, 6, and 7 a little bit earlier. I'll read them to you now. It says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But I want you to catch that word. Did you see that it said the peace of God? So whose peace is it? It's God's peace, right? Did you notice it doesn't say the peace of your circumstances will guard your hearts and minds? See, it has nothing to do with the size of your TV set or how many problems you do or don't have. It's saying that God's peace is completely independent of that. And so here's the thing. I think if you think about it logically, it just stands to reason, right? Because you can't give something you don't possess. We would all agree with that. But since our circumstances don't inherently possess any peace, why would we think they could give it to us in any kind of situation? They're not the author of it, right? If we think about it logically, our peace has no power, or our circumstances rather, have no power to add to or take away from our peace. In fact, maybe here's another way to look at it. Uh, if you wanted to say you wanted a fresh apple picked right off the tree, right? You're thinking, man, this would be great. I'm just going to go get a fresh apple. And uh, how many of you guys would, would walk up to a pine tree and look for that apple? None of us would do that, right? Why? Because apples don't grow on pine trees. Pine trees are not the source of apples. See, if we want an apple, we have to go to an apple tree because that's the source of apples. Listen, well, in the, same, in the same way, why would we ever look for peace in our circumstances? See, circumstances are not the source of peace. If we want peace, we have to go to the source, which is God, Right? And so we've got to realize that from the very beginning. And I think if we really look at it, our own experience, even to this point in our lives, would validate that. I mean, we've all had circumstances that we've enjoyed or they've been fun, and I think God wants us to enjoy circumstances. But, but have we ever had any circumstance that has brought lasting peace in our life? I mean, sure, we might have had something that kind of temporarily distracted us or seemed fun, but if we really think about it, nothing has ever brought lasting peace. How many of you guys have ever had that conversation with God? God, if you would just do this one thing for me, I would need nothing else. Right? And maybe that's come to pass and it was great for a while, and then all of a sudden it's like, God, there's actually one more thing, right? You know, I remember when I was when I was about 12 years old and and they created this incredible invention, one of the greatest inventions ever created, at, at least so I thought at the time, called Nintendo. And I remember in all the honesty in my 12-year-old mind could muster, I told God, God, if you could just give me a Nintendo, I would never want again for the rest of my life. I would be completely fine. And I'm here today to tell you, I, I got that Nintendo and I still have issues. I still have problems, okay? It didn't solve everything. In fact, I've told people before, I said, listen, if you really think circumstances can bring you peace, go find someone that has everything you think you want and see if it's working for them. You know, go find somebody that has all the notoriety, the money, whatever, and see if they're just walking in perfect peace. Because if they're not, then it's clear that that's not where peace comes from. And again, look around. If peace really came from circumstances, you know, you look at the actors and actresses and some professional athletes and, you know, bands and all that stuff, that maybe they've got the fame, the money, the notoriety, and we all know that they have the lowest percentage of drug use, the lowest divorce rates, you know, the happiest people around, right? Listen, if peace came from your circumstances, wouldn't they be the most peaceful people on earth? 
You know, we see this again in, from Solomon. I mean, a lot of people know Solomon was the wisest person to ever live. But what some people don't know is historians actually believe he was probably the wealthiest person to ever live as well. And he gives us some keys in, in, uh, in, in Song of Solomon, in, in Ecclesiastes, rather, uh, 2, verses 10 and 11. He says this, and just try to grasp these words of what he's saying. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I'd surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun. Guys, these are some of the most incredible words ever written and can save us a lifetime of empty pursuits. Listen to what he's saying. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Here's what he's saying. Everything I could even think about wanting, I had. And he says, but you know what? In the end, it was just meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained. See, you know what it is? I started to think about why we're so convinced that some certain ideal set of circumstances, we need to wait for them before we can experience peace. Because here's what it is. What, circumstance, what circumstances can give you is not peace. They just give you the hope of peace. Maybe a better term, the deception of peace. Because we believe if we get them, we're going to be peaceful. We desire them. And it keeps us going, right? If I can just do this, if I just get that promotion, everything's going to be great. And so it keeps us going. We have the hope of peace only to get there and then it kind of wears off, doesn't really deliver what we wanted and then we just erect a new thing. And we just go to thing after thing after thing until we either quit, you know, die trying or like Solomon, we all of a sudden come to our senses and go, this is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind and nothing is gained. And so I think we've got to realize peace doesn't come from our circumstances. There's a great analogy in scripture and I'll I'll kind of end this point with this, this, this scripture here. It's in Jeremiah chapter 17, and I love the way this paints this picture. It says, it says, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, uh, verses seven and eight. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they go right on producing delicious fruit. And I love that picture because if you think about it, a tree inherently is completely dependent on its circumstances for sustenance, right? I mean, if a tree is just planted anywhere, it, you know, if it rains, good times for that tree. It's going to be okay, right? If there's a drought, probably not going to be good for that tree. It, again, it's, it's going to go up and down based on its external circumstances. But it says, when you look to the Lord, you become like a tree that's planted next to a river whose roots reach deep into the river, the difference in that picture is if a tree has roots reaching into an inexhaustible river, it doesn't care whether it rains or not. It could rain, great. It could not rain for years, it doesn't matter. All of a sudden, the external circumstances don't matter. Why? Because it has a completely separate source that is sustaining it. And God paints that picture for us that when we look to him, we have a completely separate source that is sustaining our peace and we, it becomes irrelevant what the circumstances of our life are. But then it paints the opposite picture just a few verses before. It says in verse five and six, this is what the Lord says, cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in a desert. And it says, you know, when we look to all the natural things of life, the human things of life, it says we're like a stunted shrub. And I, I just wonder this morning, maybe, maybe the first thing that we need to consider is, 
as believers, we have an inexhaustible river next to us of the Lord and his peace. But how many of us maybe are allowing our roots to still look to the circumstances of life when that's available to us? And all we need to do, maybe, maybe some of us need to stop looking to those things and begin to move our roots to the Lord so that we can experience his peace regardless of our circumstances. So God, God gives us a peace that is independent of our circumstances, number one. Number two is this. We need to realize that God is mighty enough to handle the big problems of our life, but he also cares enough to handle the small ones. And I say this because I talk to so many people who, who they're robbed of peace because of one of two things. Either one, they think their problems are so big, it's like God can't even do anything and I just need to figure this out on my own. Or sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes they have a problem and they think, well, this is so, God probably doesn't even care about this. And so, again, I'm on my own. I need to figure this out. Well, the truth is neither one of those things are true. You talk about the first half of that, about God being big enough uh, to handle any problem we're going through. And we all know that's true from the scriptures, but I, I, was, I was reading a couple of years ago just a, a, something that I thought spoke so much to God's bigness, and it was talking about the expanse of the universe and how big our universe is. And so uh, it was saying how when you measure distance uh, in space, they actually don't measure it in miles like we do on land. They measure it in something that's called light years. And a light year is basically how the, the distance that light can travel in one year's time. And so in case you didn't know, light actually travels at 186,282 miles per second or 670 million miles an hour, okay? So just to give a reference point, our sun uh, is 93 million miles from Earth. And so if you wanted to go visit the sun, I, I don't recommend it, but um, if you wanted to go visit the sun and you got on an airplane that was going 500 miles an hour, 24 hours a day without ever having to stop to refuel, It'd take you 19 years to get to the sun. But light can travel that distance in eight minutes and 20 seconds. Okay, if you maybe take a, a little bit further out, the, the next closest star to Earth, obviously the sun is the closest, the, the next closest star is 4.3 light years away from Earth. So if you wanted to take that same plane, going 500 miles an hour, never stopping, 24 hours a day, and just go to the second closest star, four light years away, it would take you 51 billion years on that plane. But that's just the second closest star. If you think about it, there are stars every night when you go out and look at the stars, there are stars that you're seeing that are 4,000 light years away. Just try to think about that for a second. That means that light has been traveling 670 million miles an hour since Moses crossed the Red Sea and it's just now getting here. Do you know some of the light you see are from stars that don't even exist anymore? They gave off light for thousands of years and that light is still traveling through the universe until all of a sudden we see it and it gets to us thousands of years later. You know, and then it expands further and, and, and you know, we live in the Milky Way galaxy, but, but there's also, scientists believe, billions of galaxies, each with billions of stars. We live in the Milky Way. The next closest galaxy to us is called the Andromeda galaxy. It's 2.31 million light years away. I actually looked up just recently, I was curious at what, what the furthest object ever seen by the human eye was. And it was 13.4 billion light years away. And I just thought, okay, if it would take you 51 billion years on a plane to go 4.3 light years, how far is 13.4 billion light years? How many of you guys, your, your, your brain is smoking and you're starting to twitch, right? I mean, it's just unfathomable. But here's my point. In Isaiah 40, 12, it says this. It says that God measures the sky between his thumb and little finger. 
Some translations say he measures the heavens with the span of his hand. Psalm 147.4 says he counts the stars and calls them by name. <laughs> say, Mike, you don't understand. I've got bills to pay. I think he can handle it. <laughs> I wonder if that's the same revelation that Jesus was trying to give his disciples when they were in the boat. You remember the storm is going crazy and you remember where Jesus is, you know, sleeping. And they wake up Jesus and he kind of wakes up for a second and, you know, wind waves, be still, goes back to sleep. And they're like, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's a revelation of how big and powerful God is. Listen, can I tell you something? Next time the enemy tries to make you afraid at the size of the storm in your life, maybe we need to start reminding him who's on the boat with us, right? And he's more powerful than anything we're gonna face. But not only is he powerful enough to handle the, the big problems, we, we gotta realize he also cares enough to handle the small ones. You know, I think sometimes we get this picture of God like he's only concerned with the big things of life, you know, like he's too busy running the universe that he doesn't have time for the small things in our life. You know, I don't know what we picture, like God at, at some desk, you know, super busy, papers kind of scattered everywhere, you know, like unanswered prayer requests on sticky notes around his computer screen, you know, just freaking out at the controls of the world. And at some point he's just like, that's it. I, I can't handle it anymore. You know, from now on, only big problems. I don't have time for the small ones. Listen, that's not happening. In fact, the Bible paints the exact opposite picture of how much God cares about even the small nuances and details of our life. You know, I love some of the verses. It talks about that God formed us in our mother's womb, and it literally says he knit you together in your mother's womb. It gives that picture of every ounce of your creation that he's intricately involved in. You know, it talks about in the Psalms, he's like the shade at your right hand, that even this, everywhere you go, he's omnipresent, he's with you all the time. It even tells us the hairs on your head are numbered. Granted, some of us make that a little easier on God than others, but <laughs> the point is, who cares? Why would he even care about that? He says that not one sparrow on the entire earth falls to the ground apart from his knowing, and he, he cares about you infinitely more than a sparrow. You know, I, I think, you know, if we think about it, God does care about the small things in our life, and I think for proof of that, we, we need to look no further than our own lives. How many of you guys are parents and we know, do we only care about the big problems that our kids go through? <laughs> or do we care about the small ones as well? You know, when your kid comes up to you and says, you know, mom, dad, I'm hungry. I mean, do we look back at him and be like, well, are you big hungry? Because we don't do snacks around here, okay? <laughs> All right, come back when you have signs of starvation and we'll talk. <laughs> Is that what we do? I mean, we, we want to, but, but we don't. I mean, we... <laughs> In fact, we buy snacks in advance so that we're anticipating they may have a small need in the future so that we're ready to meet it when they have it. You know, there was one time when I was putting away some clothes for my oldest daughter, Bella, and it was, it was the fall, and we, were putting, we bought some winter clothes. We were putting them away and, in her drawer, and, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, Mike, you realize what you're doing right now? He said, you have advanced knowledge of a season that's coming that she doesn't even know is coming. And you're making preparations in advance so that when that season comes, she has everything you need, she needs. And he said, Mike, how much more don't, you know, do you think that I do that for you if you're willing to do that as an imperfect father? You're willing to do that for your daughter. How much more do you think I'm doing that for you? So you've got to realize it doesn't matter how small your issue is. You can bring it to the Lord and he cares about it. He wants to walk through with us. He wants to help us. Psalm 37, 23 says this, the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of their lives. God is big enough to handle anything you're going through and he cares enough 
to handle the small ones. Uh, the last one is this. It's, um, key number three is that we have to allow peace to referee your heart. You have to allow peace to referee your heart. Here's what I mean. You can believe that God is the source of all peace. You can be convinced of that, okay? Uh, it's not my circumstance. It really is God. You can believe that he's powerful enough to walk you know, through with you whatever you're going through, cares enough to handle the small things. But the truth is when peace blows the whistle on your heart, you still have to choose to respond if you want to continue to walk in line with his peace. See, when you think about a sporting event, when the referee blows the whistle or calls a foul, there's not a question. The game stops, everybody does what the referee says, and so it continues on in an orderly fashion. But how many of us, when peace blows the whistle on our heart, maybe through conviction or through, you know, some leading of the Lord, we just keep right on doing whatever we were doing? Or maybe we say, God, I appreciate that, but I can't, you know, I I can't let go of this thing right now. I'm I'm too afraid, and so I don't want to follow those instructions. It's scary. See, if you really want to walk in God's peace, when it tries to referee our hearts, we have to yield to it and follow the instructions. You know, oftentimes, if we're really honest with ourselves and we look at the areas that most consistently cause us to lose peace, behind that is something in our life that has grown too important to us. And so when we receive instruction on it, we're not, we're not able to answer, we're not able to let go or to yield or to obey because it's too important. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, sometimes it can maybe just be a hobby or something that's just grown to too great a place of prominence in our life. But oftentimes it can be a wound Maybe something you experienced as a child and you made a decision based on that. I will never let this happen in my life. My kids are never going to go through that. I'm never going to do this. And so we kind of create this agreement in any instruction that seems like it might even touch that area. We just ignore. So as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, blowing the whistle, we're regularly, there's a couple areas, we're just not having it. (laughs) The problem with that is what we don't realize is that when we do that, we think we're doing that to preserve peace, but what you're actually doing is making your peace increasingly harder to come by. Let me tell you why. You know, we talked about the fact that peace was free, right? It it comes from God. It's independent of circumstances. But, But when you tell yourself there's something you need, something you can't part with, something you have to have, what you've essentially said is, I'm not okay without this thing. I can't have peace without this, you know, certain situation lining up a certain way. So now what you've done is where your peace was completely free before, independent of your circumstance, now you've created your own condition for peace. So I don't just need Jesus to have peace. I need Jesus and this. And for most of us, and this and this, right? For some of us, and this and this and this and this. And we've got a whole bunch of stuff now. We've got 50 conditions that we put on our peace. God, it's not just you I need. I need you and these seven other factors to line up. And the problem is we've created so many conditions on our peace where there doesn't need to be any. We practically need a solar eclipse of our circumstances to ever be able to sniff God's peace. And we wonder why we're walking around half stressed out all the time. See, sometimes our first step in growing in peace is not in gaining something. It's in what we're willing to let go of. It's in what we're willing to be able to trust over to him. You know, I remember one time I was going through a situation. I was in my college years and, um, uh, you know, I'd gone to a junior college for a couple years and and it just kind of happened to be this weird arrangement of my circumstances where a bunch of my friends, after their two years there, they, they moved away to other schools that were either somewhere else in the state or in another state. And so I was kind of grieving the loss of, of my friends. You know, all my friends had, had left and gone away. And, 
And at that time, there was a, a girl I was dating. We were really close. A lot of people thought we'd get married. And the, and the Lord told me I needed to break off that relationship. And so I did, but it was a really painful breakup. And that was kind of like the rest of my social life, you know. And so I basically had no friends. I was going through this, you know, kind of grieving process with breaking up with this girl. And, and right about that time, I was working construction. I hurt my back really badly. And so I had to quit my job for a season. And I, I couldn't play basketball or work out or any of the stuff that, that really I enjoyed was bringing me life. And so... I remember there was a season, you know, where I'd wake up and I kind of have my devotion time and I'm sitting on my bed and I'm just like, you know, so just bored and frustrated. I'm thinking I got no friends. I don't have anyone to hang out with. My back is hurting. I have no money because I can't work. I can't go even play basketball or do anything to take my mind off of what's happening. I was just miserable. And I remember after a couple of weeks, I was driving around and, and, and I was just like, that's it. I, I'm not doing this anymore. I said, I'm going to move to San Diego, you know, where a bunch of, a couple of my friends went to college and, and I'm just going to, you know, just get away from this place and kind of put this whole thing behind me. And I remember the Lord speaking to me and he goes, Mike, what, look at what you're doing right now. He said, when it's clear sailing in your life and everything's smooth, he said, boy, you'll, you'll run after me just as hard as, as the next person. He said, but look at how things change when your circumstances are different and you can't see what I'm doing. And so he started speaking to me. He said, Mike, what you don't realize is I'm trying to bring you to the place where you can learn to be content with only me. He said, Mike, your life is, in, in your life, there's a foundation. And you can have lots of wants and desires, and all those things can be built on that foundation. But if you need something, it's a part of your foundation. So the truth is, Mike, I want to be the sole rock in your foundation. But if you allow other needs to be there as well, it's almost like there's me and all these other things in your foundation. The problem is, whatever's not me, the enemy owns. And so as we're building in your life, all he has to do is kind of shake the rocks that he owns and it seems like everything comes tumbling down. How many of you guys, maybe you've experienced that before where as you're making progress in the Lord or something in your life, it always seems to be those same one or two areas that something happens and it seems to pull you back. And God said, Mike, here's the deal. I'm trying to get you to, become, to come to the point where you can be content with only me because when you're content with only me, what can the devil ever take from you? How can he ever touch you? He said, if all you need is me, he can't take me from you. So you become untouchable to him. And I remember in that moment realizing, having this revelation and, and just going, you know what? Oftentimes our peace not comes again from the things we gain, but, but sometimes from the things we're willing to part with. And go, God, I, I was erecting that as a need in my life. And I do want it. It might be a good thing. But in actuality, really all I need is you. And I'm going to trust you. I still may pray for that thing. I want that thing, but I'm not going to make it something anymore that if you don't give it to me, it's, I'm just allowing myself to get in a frenzy. You know, I'll tell you, enemy always tells us that, that letting go of something is going to make us miserable. But I would reason with you today that it's actually the opposite. It's the refusal to let go that often makes us miserable. Luke 9.24 says it this way. It says, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find true life. I love the dichotomy of this picture. It says, listen, if you keep trying to hold on to everything, you keep trying to arrange for the perfect arrangement of your circumstances, you're desperate for it, and you're not going to be happy without it. It says, you're going to lose it. It doesn't work. But then he gives us the opposite promise. He says, but if you just trust me, just give up your life for me, guess what? There's a promise on the other side. You'll find true life. And a part of that true life is lasting peace that he's made available to us. 
Listen, if you don't hear anything else I've said this morning, I hope you hear this. Peace really doesn't come from the attainment of the things you think you really want or need in life. True lasting peace actually comes from the state of needing nothing but him. So I I just wonder this morning, maybe to ask yourself, you know, what, what conditions for peace have you set up in your life? What things have you been holding on to? You've been afraid when the Lord tries to speak to you in that area. You just, God, no, uh-uh. Anything but this, God. And I wonder this morning, would you be willing to maybe just take a step as we close in prayer in just a minute and just be willing to say, you know what, God, yeah, I, I have kind of kept that thing outside of your control. But the way I act with my boyfriend or girlfriend, the things that I, I condition to do with my kids, the way that I treat my finances, I've, you know, I've, I've been holding on to that thing. And it's stressful sometimes. But God, I'm gonna choose to trust you with that. Because can I tell you something? When, when we keep things away from the Lord, you know what it's like? I, I've used this analogy before. It's like giving the enemy a trump card. Because even if your circumstances aren't pressing on that particular issue, all he has to do is come into your mind and say, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? It's like throwing down a trump card. Oh, I, I couldn't handle that. We get all afraid. See, when you make the decision to go, you know what, God, I really do love my kids and I wish I could control their life, but the bottom line is I can't. And I've been fearing like I can, but I can't. I'm going to trust you with that thing. You know what we do? We take away the enemy's trump card. And he goes, well, what if, what if your kids do this? What if that happens? You know, I don't want them to do it, but you know what? I'm trusting it to the Lord. Where before we get all afraid and we might try to start making decisions out of fear and end up making things worse. And, or maybe it's your finances. God, there's, there's no way I could ever live in a situation like this. What if my bank account gets down to this level? And you go, you know what, God, I, I'm going to try to be smart financially, but at the end of the day, I, I don't. I can't control all the external things in my life. You know what? My finances are yours. You've given me promises in your word that you're going to protect me. You're going to take care of me. So the enemy comes, what if this happens? You know what? I'm trusting it to the Lord. And you start taking away those trump cards from the enemy. And you know what you're going to find? All of a sudden, you're going to find the things that used to bring you angst, keep you from walking in peace. And a lot of the bad decisions that we make because we're not walking in peace start to subside and we start to experience a peace that rules in our hearts at all times. My prayer for you is that today you begin to take maybe one step in that direction. And so I, I just want to pray for us. If you would just bow your heads and, and close your eyes, every campus, wherever you may be, if you're watching online. And I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, would, would you just right now just begin to speak to every heart? God, we come to church not just to check something off our to-do list or just to to say that we did it. We really do come to to not just even hear things either, but to apply things to our lives so that we can be different, so that we can be changed, so that we can grow in all of the things you have for us. And God, sometimes we may hear something that's like a, a, a bomb going off in our mind and it's this big revelation. Sometimes it might just be a small step that we take, but it makes a difference. God, I ask, would you speak to every heart today, if there's something they need to do, maybe they said, you know, I've, I've been looking at peace as my circumstance, and I need, to, I need to just stop doing that and realize I can have peace regardless of my circumstances. Maybe they've looked at you as aloof or unconcerning. Or God, maybe as I've talked about this last point, the first thing that came to their mind was some area they've been withholding from you. And that's you. I just want to pray even specifically for that. If you're just in your seat, maybe just to, to take a second there to just ask the Lord and, and maybe just tell him, God, I, I, I'm trusting you with that thing. And if you don't even feel like you have that much strength, maybe even just the honesty of saying, God, I don't even know that I can, but will you help me get to the point where I can trust you? I'm so afraid of letting go in this area. 
God, whatever they've asked of you, I pray that you just begin to rush in and meet them, begin to, to move on the inside of their heart, begin to bring them to the point where they really can begin to, to take those rocks out of their foundation, hand them back over to you. So the enemy has one less tool, one less trump card to begin to play on them and steal their peace. And God, I pray that as they move forward, that they would continue in an increasing fashion to discover a peace that literally rules in their hearts at all times and transcends all understanding. And God, we also thank you so much for making that available to us. God, what would people pay for that kind of peace? Yet you've made it available to us for free. We thank you so much. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much. Such an honor to be here with you. Yeah.